0: So we're going to continue this morning in a time in the Word together, and we are uh, in a third week of this series called "To Tell the Truth." So I'm going to uh, do what we always do. I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we enter God's Word, and then we will uh, learn together. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning and for your grace and your mercy upon upon your people. And uh, we thank you, Father, for the the gift of the cross and the joy that was set before you that you would endure it for our sin. And we give you praise and thanks for that. That, Then, in fact, Father, we will always, for eternity, give you praise and thanks for the reality that we do not bear our sin, but you bore it for us that we might be free and free indeed. Father God, we thank you for this morning, for a chance to gather together in this place to worship you and to raise high the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that as we do that, that you would be our teacher. We ask that your Holy Spirit would instruct us in our hearts and our minds that we might be transformed because we know you, and that the faith that we have would be authentic faith because you have moved in our lives in an undeniable way. We give you praise for that. Be with us now as we open your word. Be our teacher. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're like, I already mentioned this, we're like in the third week of a four-week series called To Tell the Truth, and this came out of this idea that to have, that one of the fundamental principles as a follower of Jesus is we, if no one else, ought to be willing to tell the truth, right? And even before we got into the series, you might have heard me say that a few times because it's been in my heart, that because I feel like we live in a culture that's filled with deception, and, and why would I want to tell the church to be sure to tell the truth, because my fear is that the church is vulnerable to be dragged into deception of the world, and the only thing that will keep us from being deceived is to recommit, as Dale shared this morning, to Jesus Christ, the truth teller, and so we're going to spend this week and next week finishing up this series, Uh, the first week we talked about how we have to recognize in this life that there is an enemy, and he's a liar, and that everything he says is a lie. That we can't give any ground to the fact that, that um, diablos, the deceiver, is seeking to deceive even the church. I love the scripture says, if it were possible to snatch us from Christ's hand. And so we ought to recognize that and identify that he always lies. And then the second week we talked about um, that we ought not to lie. We should stop lying. And as a matter of fact, I said last week we are commanded or ordered not to lie. And that might seem obvious again. But many of us go, well, how big of a deal is it really? Well, this week then, we're going to kind of flip the script a little bit. Because if it's, last week was the prohibition on lying, thou shalt not bear false witness. By the way, this week, as God would have it, I bumped into somebody who said, you know what? The Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. It doesn't say thou shalt not lie. It's different things. And I thought maybe there's some deep Christian theology here that I don't understand. <laughs> and so I went and looked it up, and no, not so much. <laughs> you can't lie. I felt like the person, they were claiming to be a brother in Christ, but they were saying, it's okay to lie sometimes, just can't bear false witness. And I, I couldn't understand what they were trying to communicate, and so I went and looked it up. It seems at the very best that lying is a subset or you know, a, a further devolvement of bearing false witness, right? To bear false witness. The word is Marteos, as I said last week. And so we, we have to recognize that we ought not, as, and especially as followers of Jesus Christ, lie. And we need his help to stop lying. Now this week, then, we're going to invert that principle and talk about our call to speak the truth in love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then the last week, next week, is we're going to talk, we're going to go full circle back to the reality that God, and you have to get this straight in your faith life, that God is the ultimate truth teller, that he is right and everyone is wrong. That's my conviction, that God is right and everyone is wrong. And so, therefore, as long as we're listening to God and obeying God, we can be drawing near the truth So we're going to go from the negative, not to lie, last week, to the affirmative, to tell the truth in love. As I was preparing for today's message, I was digging around just on the interwebs looking at things, and one of the things I was surprised to see is there's a group called the Rand Corporation. Some may be more historically astute than I am, but they were a corporation that seemed that was formed to help America fight wars better, right? But they got into all this research stuff, and so you may have heard of the RAND group. And when I heard of it, I'm like, oh, I've heard of this group before. And so that came with some kind of, oh, that's interesting. And I want to share with you something that they've been studying for a while in our nation. They, they're studying something called truth decay, and, and, they, and the reason I bring it to your attention is they, they identified four things through like scientific research that, that demonstrates that we are, we are living in a season of truth decay in our culture. Here they are. The first thing they said is that there's increasing disagreement about facts. The second thing they said is there's a blurring of line between our own opinion and fact. The third is there's an increasingly relative volume and resulting influence of opinions being elevated over facts. And then lastly, fourthly, there's a declining trust in formerly respected sources of facts. Why do I bring this up? I think every time they say facts, you could insert truth, right? And I think if you listen to the cultural conversation or the cultural arguments, it's all about who has the right to claim truth. One of the things that's often laid against the church is that we ought not be putting our morals on other people. But what we have to understand in the cultural conversation is the culture is putting its moral understanding on us. It's a truth claim, right? And so we have to recognize that and be willing to go back to the truth teller and say, no, I believe God. I don't believe mankind. You see this a little bit in these cultural fights because there's a blending, a merging in some ways of the church proclaiming the truth with the culture fighting for the truth. But ultimately and I will say this this morning clearly the church stands unique in proclaiming truth. We have the opportunity to speak truth in love. And so I wonder this morning as we open to God's word does what we say really matter? Does it matter what comes out of our mouth? Last week we said Jesus taught us that out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. But now does it matter what we say? Last week, I ended on the James uh, 118 that said this: "He, God the Father, chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we're literally born through God's Word." He speaks truth through his word. And as an aside here, by the way, if I can say this, we ought to be ingesting more and more scripture all the time. You ought not just come once a week, hear someone share the word with you, and then go, I'm good for six more days until someone else tells me something else. Or I'm good until my you know uh, podcast I listen to. I'm good until whatever. That you yourself, and I can't encourage you enough, you should get into God's word and wrestle with the scripture and talk to God about what it means, who, what he means and what he is communicating to us individually and corporately as his church. You see, we can't outsource that to someone else. as their responsibility. He gives us birth through the word of truth. And we ought to be ingesting it more and more each day. Well, I told you earlier that what Emily shared about steadfastness comes in, John, or in James 1.17. Well, listen to this now. We're going to talk about uh, James 1, uh, nineteen. This is right after the birth passage, and it says this. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And and the funny thing about this is we've talked about that passage before, I know. But I never recognized that it comes right on the heels of this... um, Testimony that God is unchanging and this idea that he gives us birth through his word. And so what I see there is there's a call to speak truth. But listen to the word now. It says, quick, and I've been advocating for this, to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You see, this is a heart issue. I don't know if you're like me. I have a hard time listening sometimes. I'm too Fast to speak. As a matter of fact, I was praying about this, and I was preparing, and I thought, mine is not so much quick, slow, slow, but it's slow, quick, quick. <laughs> I go slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. A, a righteous indignation. Someone has said to me before that um, any time you ha- you, we get into this idea that um, it's the principle at stake here, we're on dangerous ground. <laughs> Why? Because God says in James 1.20... Man's anger, listen, our quickness to anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And if I can back that up the other way, it means this, that the righteous life that God desires is that the church, the people of God, might be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's exactly inverted from how most of us live our lives, our, especially now in our outrage culture, where we're all set on like 11 We are called to speak slowly. But what does it really matter what we do or don't say? Well, you see, it's a heart issue. And that's part of my problem. I see this coming out of myself. I'm going to now ask you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to settle in Ephesians here, but I'm kind of taking a little quick tour around the scriptures because this is one of the, of the scariest passages of scripture. Uh, Matthew, There's a few of them, by the way. And if you, ha- if, you don't, if you haven't found a scary passage of scripture, you've not read the Bible because <laughs> there's some in there. And uh, Matthew 12, 36 and 37, this is what the word says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, for by your words, you will be acquitted. Oh, no, 36. Let me back up. But I tell you the truth, men, that's humankind, will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken, 37, because by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Uh, I remember the most recent time this came up in a conversation. We were playing a game. and it was a game where you had to say things that were inappropriate. And we were all having a great time laughing and stuff. And then someone's like, this game feels inappropriate. And I'm like, well, yeah, because it says you'll be held accountable for every uh, empty word you speak. And someone's like, that's in the Bible? And I'm like, yeah. And it's scary. It's scary to think that every careless word we speak will be held to account by Jesus, by God the Father, and indeed, church, in our real life, by the Holy Spirit, as we speak. Every, uh, you will give an account, mankind, for the, on the day of judgment, for every careless word that is spoken. I just want to talk about one word in this real quick, and we're going to move on to our main passage. Uh, the word empty. It's argon in the Greek, and it means a careless word. An idle word, ooh, a lazy word, a thoughtless word, an unprofitable word. Here's one, an injurious word. These words that kind of just flow out of us that we don't even think to capture, we just say them in a moment, sometimes not even with great passion, just passively. That these words we will be held to account for on the day of judgment. Judgment. And as a matter of fact, the word uh, argon actually means uh, to not work or to not accomplish, which implies that God's intention in our speaking, and I'm, I'm going to set a really high bar here, and I'm going to admit we don't live up to it, but that, that his desire for us as truth tellers is that we would speak words that work. Then we would use language that works, that accomplishes. And you might go, well, accomplishes what? Accomplishes something good for the hearer, right? So when you say those things that are unhelpful, those quippy, here's the problem, I love sarcasm. It's, it's, a, it's a problem because it's not a spiritual gift to be sarcastic, even though I always jokingly say that. Because it's a careless word. It's a thoughtless word, and it's not intended to build up. Well, if you're like me, you are already feeling like, oof, how do you ever live up to that? standard. Do our words really matter? Does it matter what we say? But importantly, it says that to speak profitable words, it implies is work. It's harder. And I wonder, do you agree with that, that speaking a thoughtful, or speaking thoughtfully is hard work? You see, this is how you can kind of do the test, right? Cheap words come easy. They just flow out, right? You don't have to do a lot of thinking about it. But to say something meaningful, to say something truthful, is harder. It requires more effort. And frankly, many of us don't care to have the time. 37 says this, by your words, your words, you'll be judged. And by your words, you'll be acquitted. Jesus, by the way, here is talking to the Pharisees, which is the religious people of the day. So these are people who claim to be close to God and yet they're saying careless words that aren't helpful. I wonder, can we find ourselves standing in that pharisaical place being those who would speak things thoughtlessly in our culture hmm, to one another and to the world? So now going from that uh, to what we're gonna set today, one of my favorite passages of scripture, and I say that about a lot of them, but it's my, love this, it's Ephesians. So we're gonna turn to Ephesians 4.15. We're talking about one verse, Ephesians four fifteen. You know it. This is what the word says, and the reason it's my favorite is it comes to mind easily. Right? As an instruction, as a rebuke, as a correction, it says this: Paul writing to the church, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. I want to read it again, Ephesians four fifteen. Instead. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. And so I love this because um, it, it sets itself up as an antithetical to how we ought to live. Now, let me say a couple things real quick. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, <laughs> he's writing to those who are believing the gospel. And so it's important that we not set this up as an as a external context, but as an internal context that Paul is calling the church. As a matter of fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about how the church ought to behave in corporate gatherings, but in our lives in general, how we ought to be. And he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we ought in all things to grow up, we will in all things to grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. So I'm going to tell you three things that comes right out of here. Um, The first thing, by the way, before I get into that, is I want to say this. That the the Greek here means, uh, what is um, speaking truth? Is that what it says? 15. Speaking the truth in love. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? I thought for sure the truth would be like truth other places in the Scripture. But it's not the same word. As a matter of fact, speaking the truth in the Greek is one word. I'm not going to bore you with how it's pronounced. I would probably do it wrong anyway but it's one word and it means to speak reality into someone's life. It is a verb. It's an action item. It's what uh, Paul says the church should do. It's to speak a reality into another person's life or get this, to make a record of what God says being true. Okay, so it's not just saying any truth that we think might be true, but it's, it's making a record. On the record, this is what God says is true. Matter of fact, the one way it could literally be interpreted is truthing, that we're truthing. But he doesn't just say the church should be truthing, but he says the, tru- the church should be truthing in love. And this becomes then the, the kernel of what is driven to in um, many of Paul's writings, but in the scriptures, that we're called to love one another. We're called to love others. This love here, as you know, is agape. It's God's love, right? And so that word you probably do know, and that is Greek, so you know it's from Greek. Agape is the love of God. And so it's not a love like a brotherly love, but it's a higher love. It's a perfect love. It's an enduring love. And so Paul encouraged the church here to be truthing in agape, to be truthing in God's higher love. So with that in mind, I want to walk out three uh, facts we get from this one passage of Scripture. Here's the first. That truthfulness, truthfulness, right, being full truth, is an option. It's an option. And why would I say that? Because you go, well, we should do it, right? Well, yeah, we should. But the, Paul begins this passage with the word instead or however, implying that the church has not been doing this as they should. As a matter of fact, if you know the, the scripture around this, you know that that's what he's doing. He's, he's correcting the church, it's presented as an alternative way to live, an alternative way to be, and an inter- alternative way to speak. Instead, speaking the truth in love. That's why I think this passage comes to mind so readily for me, because when, when I find myself doing something thoughtlessly, it comes to me instead speaking the truth in love. It's an option. And specifically, it's an option for the church of Jesus Christ, because we know Christ and Jesus is truth. Before that, we were lost in the lie. We talked about that in the first week. But God has redeemed us for the truth. So instead, speaking the truth is an option. Truthfulness is an option. Um, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus on how to be a church. I said that already. And there's an implication that the church there might not be living or being or speaking that way currently. So I don't want to say, I didn't put up there, it's optional, (laughs) Truthfulness is an option, but we choose what we're going to do. And, and Paul grows to the greatest sense to say that. So we have a decision to make to not lie, to know there's a liar, to try and deceive us, to not lie, and then decide to speak the truth. That's the decision we have to make. I wonder, in your own life, do you wrestle with that at all? Do you wrestle with living a life that speaks the truth? with being the kind of person who speaks the truth and with actually using your words, and this may be the hardest for some of us, to say the true things, to make a record of what God says is real. And and can I say this? We don't have to fully understand that to say it. And I always say to you and other people, and if you think I'm wrong, like the brother who said lying and bearing false wisdoms different things, explain that to me. Help me understand where you find that. Because we, we may not understand, but we can say, this is what God says is true. And therefore, that's what I make record of. So that's the first thing. However, or instead, speaking the truth in love. The second thing I want you to see is that truthfulness is maturing. The, the function in our lives, and this is going to go both ways, of, of being truthful is a maturing function. Instead, We will grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking of truth and love, we will grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. Or, here's another way it says it in the Greek, we should grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And the word grow up here means to mature, to develop into and I want to set a high bar here because what Paul is proclaiming here is that Jesus Christ, in His perfection, on, in the, on the throne of God, at the right hand of the Father, right now, is the head of the church, us, those who believe in the gospel, and therefore our job. And one of the um, one of the Greek slaves I read on this said that it's a requirement of a disciple to always be growing into the head that is Christ. So you can imagine the imagery here of the body of believers growing up in all ways into, into Christ. And, and what, what causes that? Here it says, speaking the truth in love, that you might grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Or that you should, I said it earlier when I read it, accidentally, that we ought to grow up into him that is the head. What does that mean, though? It means that truthfulness is a maturing function and that to be truthful is a sign of a mature believer in Jesus. What else? It means to be dishonest is a sign of an immature or an undeveloped, here's the word, or a childish faith. So we find ourselves hedging our bets, not wanting to speak the truth in love, pulling back a little bit. That means that we're demonstrating our own childishness. No, instead, you can feel the word here. We're called to grow in maturity into him who is Christ. This church will take all of us to grow into him. The entire church throughout all the world and through, and, and over all time that we might mature into him. Dale said this morning that um, we we have the great crowd of witnesses that are cheering us on to run our races faithfully. Faithfully, run, run our race faithfully, and we, by God's grace, will join them in eternity, cheering on the generations to come to keep running the faith faithfully, to keep running the race of faith faithfully, to keep believing that God is the great truth teller, that the generations to come might know that despite what the culture is saying, it's all over, it's hopeless, it's doomed that we would mature into the kind of believers that would say that God is right, that God is telling the truth. And so we get bigger and bigger and bigger as we are honest. So that's, that's a maturing uh, idea, and it's a maturing step to take to decide to be truthful. Have you ever had those moments where you've had to have a hard conversation? <laughs> you don't want to have but you have to have and you feel that need and you pray about it and then you walk in the room and you go I'm going to say something right you can feel the weight of that but afterward, and I would say in the moment when we have those conversations that we re- we ought to be relying on Christ and the Holy Spirit and we ought not to lose our head, right? That could happen, get in there and it gets rowdy. But instead, walking that out, when you do that faithfully and you walk out, maturity is had between two human beings. Something greater has been had. This happens if we're together for the Bible study or if we're together for some reconciliation, if we're speaking some experience that we've had that we don't understand. That what blossoms from truthful conversation is maturity and growth and honesty in Christ that we might know more fully. And you might say, by the way, one more point here, we'll move on. Well, yeah, if you talk to a brother or sister in Christ, well, you're going to mature through the conversation being honest, right? But I can tell you through experience that talking to anyone honestly will cause you to grow, And so I've done some things in my life where I've gone and talked to people who don't believe in Jesus at all. And being honest in those conversations with them has caused me to grow in my faith. Sometimes we run around acting like we're afraid of the whole world. Well, they believe other things. And what if I talk to them and and they confuse me? Do you not know that Christ has claimed you as his own and that he is speaking truth into your life? And that as we stand there, as his witnesses bearing truth in love, that we grow from the process. We ought not be afraid to engage in a conversation with someone who doesn't agree with us. That's all I'm saying. We ought not be afraid. Last thing. Truthfulness is love. And, and this maybe is the most subtle thing. I know it says speaking the truth in love, and that means in agape. That's a function of how we speak the truth, that we do it in God's love, which is that perfect love. But I want you to hear that being honest is a loving act. Matter of fact, the least loving thing we can do is to lie to someone else or to withhold the truth when we see it. And I've said this to you before, many, there are many tragedies in life. And I'm not saying that tragedies are avoidable particularly, but there's a real hard moment for me that when something is going sideways in someone's life and we see it and we know it, this is going to end badly for you, and we don't have the courage to say, brother, sister, friend, this is going to end badly for you, And it goes wrong. And the most discouraging moment is when you're together with people who knew them and you're like, we saw that coming. Oh, I saw that coming. That was years in the making. And then my heart within me breaks to say, why didn't someone say something? Let me flip it around. That seems a little unfair, right? Well, well, Bill, I mean, how can we know? We got this stay in your lane thing. Like, just stay in my lane. Don't worry about it. Let me flip it around. If there are things in my life that you see that need to be spoke to, you should speak to it. And I should do the same. But, oh, man, there's a danger in truth-telling culture, isn't there? Because I might hear things that are hard to hear. You might reveal sin in my life in ways that I'm failing. I I might return the favor. And then we might all feel broken together. Where's the hope in that? Perhaps through the brokenness that we long all the more for the perfection of Christ. Truthfulness is love. Speaking truth is loving. This is the whole problem um, with many of the conversations that are cultures like, just let it go, man. You know, don't worry about it, right? But that's the, mo- that's the least loving thing we can do. No, if God's showing us things and we have concerns, we've prayed about that, we ought to go in love and humility. And by the way, if you want to know what the love looks like, just go to 1 Corinthians 13, right? And Paul says, if we don't have love, you're a clanging cymbal. And then he lists out all the things. So you, you, you speak the truth in love with patience. You speak the truth in love with kindness. I'm not going to go through the list, but those are the markers that ought to be part of the way we're speaking the truth in love. It should never be proud or boastful or based on our own anger, our own hurt. It should be based in concern for the other person. I love you. And so I'm going to say some hard things. Matter of fact, uh, this is one of the things that is a high order of marriage. Because no one sees you like your spouse sees you. Um, I would even say that we don't see ourselves like our spouse sees us. And so, if we're in a relationship where our spouse can speak truth in love, with patience and kindness, not keeping a list of wrongs, then all of a sudden we can find a way forward in Christ. Lord, help me to change. You see, here's the thing everything that Jesus said and did was loving, everything. We love to kind of pick on the Pharisees. oh, you know, look at them. Get those Pharisees, Jesus. Get them. Get them. And then we're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of a Pharisee. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm in the church, aren't I? I think sometimes I'm better than those other people, don't I? Oh, don't get me, Jesus. Get me, <laughs> you know? Come on, let's have this thing out. Uh, everything he did, he rebuked, he healed. And we go, look, he healed us so good. Look, he got those guys. No, he's saying the same thing to everyone. Repent. The kingdom is here. <laughs> I am the fulfillment of God's promises for you. Believe me, everything Jesus did is an act of love. I thought about when he came into the temple and he flipped over the tables and he snapped people with whips, man. Like, that's violent. He's loving that church. <laughs> You've got to stop this, man. My house should be a house of prayer. Everything that God did in the entire Bible was an act of love. Have you read it? Man, there's some hard things in the Bible. Many people today will start to deconstruct the faith, and they'll say, well, I would follow Jesus, but I can't believe that one Bible thing. I believe in the God of the Bible, but I can't believe that one issue, man. I I see it differently than he sees it. And the reality is this, that everything that God said and everything that God did in the scriptures is an act of love, continues to be an act of love. That means that saying these things, living these things, being these things is an act of God's love for us. So lest you think I was just pulling that one passage out of Scripture, I just want to read through quickly 11 through 15 together. This is what the Word says. It was He, who is that, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. That's shepherds and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service. Now listen to the Word. So that the body of Christ might be built up. Added one to another. What? 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and that we might become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is what Paul lays out as the model for church discipleship before he gets into this thing about speaking the truth in love. And then listen to him turn the corner in 14. At that time, then, in those days, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Does that sound like the culture? It just sounds like the culture. And can I say something? Sometimes it sounds like the church. Man-made ministries for man's glory. God help us. And to all that, to all that, Paul says in 15, instead... Church, instead of being the infant tossed around, instead, you should speak the truth in love. And we will, or we ought, in all things to grow up to Him, as imaginable, who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The reality is that growing into the head that is Christ is us being built into the maturity of Jesus. So we ought to be built up. We ought to have a unity of the faith. We ought to have the knowledge of God and we ought to become mature, no longer being infants, but instead you know, this week, one of the things I had a pleasure of doing was working with our other pastors in town, and we had more pastors come out for the Highland Area Ministry Alliance meeting than we'd had in a long time. It was awesome. And we were there, but you can tell as we celebrate and we share the gospel together, this is exciting, and then all of a sudden, these cracks start to show. These questions start to rise. What do we believe? What are we doing here together? I believe that this is God doing his work amongst his people, that the body might be built up, reaching unity in faith, and knowledge of God, becoming mature. 2,000 years later, by the way, after Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus, God is still doing the work today. So I wonder, do you want to be mature in Jesus? I also wonder, do you know the truth of Christ The reality is that he is the completion of the scriptural promises, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. He said, I am here. And that one, who was the fulfillment of everything promised and all the saints had longed for all the years, gave himself on the cross. Uh, Dale said this morning, and this other verse came to mind, it says, um, uh, knowing what would come, Jesus headed for Jerusalem. Fully knowing what he was about to enter into. That Jesus as a Savior is not one who hopes it's going to work out and wonders for the fringe. He knows the work that will be accomplished on the cross, and he intentionally takes every step toward Jerusalem and the cross. As a matter of fact, dare I say it, If it were not for the will of Christ to give himself on the cross for the sins of the world, um, there would be no sacrifice. (laughs) In other words, he willingly let evil men like us crucify him, spit on him, and mock him that we might be free of our sin, that we might not face the wrath of God. And that's the truth of Christ. He hung on the cross in our place that we might be with him forever. He hung on the cross to refute the lie of the garden. So I wonder today, will you trust the truth of Jesus Christ? And if you do, will you choose in your life to speak truth in love? Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity you give us to know you. And if it were not for your condescension to us, we would have no hope of salvation, no way forward we would be lost in our sin. But you've come. You've come that we might be free. And if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know that in their soul that you died for their sin, I pray that by your power and your Holy Spirit that you would uh, teach that in the name of Jesus that they would know no sin too hard, no, no, no sin too bad, nothing too far from you that is beyond your redeeming because of the great work that Jesus did on the cross. And then, Father, for those of us who, who know you and your mercy and that washing of your blood, that we would live our lives and not get jaded and cynical in this life, but live our lives in a manner that we're willing to speak the truth in love to those around us, that we would be willing to do the hard work. Father God, help us with that. Also, Lord, I ask that you would help us to hear others well when they are speaking to us, that we'd be quick to listen as they share what God has in their heart. We love you so much. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, for the redemption of our souls, and for the eternity that we will have with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.